0: You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. If you like your history with a touch of the unknown and the unsettling, check out this week's podcast partner, Southern Gothic.
1: The American South has a rich history filled with eerie legends and mysterious hauntings. Join me, Brandon Snyder, as I journey into its underbelly, Exploring these tales of loss and heartbreak, documenting ghost stories and legends amidst rich soundscapes and an eerie original soundtrack that can only be found on my podcast, Southern Gothic.
0: In addition to my previously mentioned career in burlesque, I also used to make my living raising the internet's second favorite animal, a ruminant quadruped that gives us milk, meat, fiber, and hilarious videos. Legend has it they also discovered the Dead Sea Scrolls, cataract surgery, and coffee. They can climb seemingly impossible heights and escape every kind of fence mankind has ever invented. They feature in the zodiac and mythologies of most of the world. My name's Moxie, and this is your Brain on Facts. Humans and goats have a long and productive history together. Goats were first domesticated about 10,000 years ago in the Near East, one of our earliest livestock species, as we transitioned from hunter-gatherers to agriculture-based societies. There are approximately 500 million goats in the world, of which China has about 170 million. Much of the worldwide goat population is in the developing world, Bonus fact right off the bat! Developing world, or developing nation, is the preferred term over the old Third World country. For starters, Third World was a reference to a country's alignment, or lack thereof, during the Cold War, with the U.S. and capitalist nations being the First World, and the Eastern Bloc nations being the Second World. The largest importer of goats is the U.S., and the largest exporter is Australia. Goats do well in almost any environment, and really outpace cows and sheep when it comes to surviving in desert climates, which is probably why the 3 million goats in the U.S. are heavily concentrated in the Southwest and Texas. Edwards County, Texas, boasts 46,000 goats and less than 2,000 people. It has roughly one person and 22 goats per square mile. Nearly 80% of America's non-pet goats are raised for meat, 15% for milk, and the remaining 5% for their coats. Goats were on some of the first boats to reach North America from Europe, not only to set up shop in the New World, but as a compact and productive source of milk and meat along the way. By 1630, a Jamestown census listed goats as one of the colony's most valuable possessions, The 1904 World's Fair in St. Louis helped their popularity to soar. The fair was host to the first dairy goat show in America, as well as an exhibit featuring 300 Angora goats, the most ever shown at one time. Among the many pets that have populated the White House, Abraham Lincoln had two goats, Nanny and Nanko. They were particularly beloved by Lincoln's son, Tad, who even used them for chariot rides around the White House. Nanny and Nanko are easier to pronounce than Tangrasnir and Tongrastor, which you'll hear more about later. Speaking of Nanny, Nanny is the casual name for an adult female or doe. The doe in charge is the herd queen. Males are colloquially called a billy and professionally called a buck, unless he's been castrated, in which case he's a weather. A baby goat is a kid, which is no surprise if you've seen them run and jump around making noise and bad smells. According to my friend Brisky at Turn of Phrases podcast, goats were kids about 300 years before human children were. The act of giving birth is, no joke, called kidding. Young goats can also be called bucklings and doelings. As the doe begins to give milk after giving birth, that's called freshening. A group of goats can be called a flock, a trip, or a tribe. But you remember that from our episode on Things You Didn't Know Had Names. Lunials, Tiddles, and Barms, oh my. Both male and female goats can have horns and beards, though a certain percentage of goats are genetically hornless. Speaking of horny, goats come by that reputation honestly. Male goats can breed as early as 4 months old, and females at 7 months, though it's better to wait until they're about a year old. Their gestation period is 5 months. Does usually have one kid in their first freshening. From then on, twins are most common, though they're as likely to drop triplets as a single. Twins makes the best sense, since goats have two teats. Goats are not grazers like sheep and cattle. They're browsers. They like a little of this and a little of that. If you're buying a goat to eat your grass, you will probably be disappointed. Goats will eat all of your shrubs and flowers before they think of touching your lawn. They seem to prefer to eat things that are on eye level. They're not only willing to eat thorny bushes, like my roses, right down to the ground. They seem to actually like it. That's especially odd when you consider that goats have no top front teeth. Instead, they have a strong dental pad. They also have quite dexterous lips, which helps them to pick off leaves. There's an old adage, where the goats go, the desert follows. And truer words have never been spoken. Being browsers with a wide diet, no plant is safe from them. They're happy to eat invasive species, like kudzu, that threaten to squeeze out native plants. They also help to keep wildfires at bay with their multi-chambered stomachs. The California Department of Forestry and Fire reported the number of acres damaged by wildfires increased by 60% from 2015 to 2016, and it's only getting worse. Goats can't do anything about droughts brought on by climate change or careless humans with their cigarettes and untended campfires. Where they come into play is clearing dry vegetation near structures, forming a fire break that would normally require machinery to dig trenches or bulldoze the area, or ironically, a controlled burn. Some of the industries using the contract grazing today include real estate development, vineyards and solar energy companies that need to remove plants not only that are fire fuel but could be blocking solar panels. The Ventura County Fire Department even used a flock of 400 goats to remove grass below the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library and Museum. Goats are safer to use than machinery for clearing fire breaks. A stray rock kicked up by a wheel or a tread could create a spark that lights the dry grass the machine is supposed to be clearing. Goats don't make sparks. Plus, they're more carbon-friendly and leave behind... we'll call it soil enrichment. There are any number of anatomical peculiarities when it comes to goats. The best well-known of these is probably their eyes, which look more like they belong on Kermit the Frog than a friendly farm animal. Along with those of the octopus, goats' pupils are approximately rectangular. Goats are thought to have excellent night vision and can often be seen browsing at night. The unusual shape of their pupil, shared by sheep and several other ungulates, or hooved animals, gives them a fuller range of vision than humans and other animals with round pupils. Goats can see nearly 320 degrees around them basically everywhere but where their horns are, which is very useful in avoiding predators. The drawback to their flattened pupil is that the goat is unable to look up or down without moving their heads. The eyes of goats feature in an apocryphal tale of medical discovery. In The Adventures of Sinbad the Sailor, the people of a particular island related to him how goats who had gone blind could cure themselves ...by rubbing their faces through thorn bushes. Sinbad watched the goats do this, and found that they were rubbing their eyes directly on the thorns. But why? How could such a cringe-inducing act be beneficial? The cause of their blindness was an opaque body on the lens of the eye, what we know as a cataract. The only remedy for cataracts at the time was basically what the goats did for themselves excising the cataract, or at least poking a hole over the center of the pupil to restore some vision. Sinbad also reported that some of the goats would later lose their eyes completely to infection, so maybe skip this particular home remedy when Grandma's eyesight starts to go. Even in modern times, goat eyes pop up as a topic in cataract surgery. SIVA, a Canadian charity whose mission is to restore sight and prevent blindness in the developing world, sometimes hits a roadblock of misconceptions with their patients. Many people are reluctant to accept surgery because they've been told the surgeon will replace their eyes with that of a goat. The other common belief is that the surgeon will take your eye out and work on it on a table, like a small engine mechanic, before putting it back in. You can see where that would be off-putting to a person. Goats are also ruminants, meaning they have a special four-chambered stomach, which helps them digest tough roughage like grass and hay. Food enters the rumen first, then passes to the honeycomb reticulum, where non-digestible objects are separated out. In the omasum chamber, water is removed from the food before it finally enters the true stomach the abomasum. The umbrella of ruminant animal includes sheep, deer, cows, bison, and even giraffes, ibex, and antelopes. While they have a diet as wide as the food available, goats do not eat tin cans. This old-fashioned cartoon trope comes likely from goats eating the paper label off the can. They can actually be surprisingly picky eaters, Don't believe me? Try buying their bagged feed from a different feed store. They won't touch it. Throughout the world, it's estimated that more people eat goat meat than that of cow and chicken, and drink more goat milk than cow milk. It's estimated that 72% of the world's milk consumption is goat milk. It's naturally homogenized. Milk is about 80% water and 20% stuff, like butterfat, protein, and sugar. Homogenized means that all the stuff stays evenly distributed and doesn't separate into layers with the cream rising to the top. Its fats are also quite small, a fifth the size of the fat globules in cow milk, making it easier to digest, even for people who are lactose intolerant. The taste of goat's milk is nearly indistinguishable from cow's milk, flavor is more determined by the animal's diet and the cleanliness of the milking parlor than from the animal species. Goat milk is fairly similar in nutrients to cow milk, although it is higher in calcium and vitamin A. Goat meat is called chevon or cabrito and is popular in cuisines throughout the world, from jerked in Caribbean to curry in India, roasts in the Middle East and stews in Africa. One reason for this is that, like lamb, no religion that allows eating meat prohibits practitioners from eating goat meat specifically. Cabrito is lower in fat and cholesterol than beef, pork, and even chicken. Goat meat also contains higher potassium and lower sodium. I've never had a chance to try it myself, but if you have any favorite recipes, post them to our social media, facebook.com yourbrainonfacts, and Twitter slash Moxie LaBouche. I am thinking of changing the Twitter handle to something more on-brand. I didn't start a Your Brain on Facts Twitter because I didn't want to lose the 400 followers that I already had. But Your Brain on Facts is one letter too long for Twitter. Should I leave it as Moxie LaBouche or change it to something shorter like YBOF Podcast or Brain on Facts? Let me know what you think would be easier for people to remember. The third major class of professional goats are fiber goats, chiefly cashmere and angora. That incredibly soft, expensive cashmere sweater in your dresser is made from the downy winter undercoat of goats. The process of hand-separating the silky material from the goats' wiry outer coat is time-consuming, hence the price. Also, it takes at least two goats to make one sweater, as each goat only produces about one pound of cashmere fleece each year. Compare that to the average of seven pounds of wool a single sheep can produce. Beating out cashmere goats in production are the angora goat, which gives us mohair. Angora fiber actually comes from the angora rabbit. Mohair is one of the warmest fibers in the world, The angora goats that produce it make about 4 pounds of fiber per year each, since they can be shorn twice. Unlike in dairy goats, the weathered male is the most valuable goat. You'll get more fiber from a neutered male because the goat doesn't put energy into producing hormones. South Africa and the U.S. lead the world in mohair production, while China leads the world in cashmere. Meat, dairy, and fiber are the most popular uses for goats, but by no means the only ones. Goats are sometimes kept with racehorses as companion animals. This is thought to have a calming effect on the horse, as it provides them with company. The term, get your goat, is rumored to have originated from the practice of stealing the companion goat, so a particular racehorse would get stressed out and do poorly, and your horse would win. The evidence for this is clunky at best, but the practice of keeping goats with horses is good for the goats too. They're herd animals, and they need to be in a family unit of some kind. When people would tell me their uncle or their grandfather had a goat and it would chase and butt them, I would ask, was it kept alone? Invariably it was. Goats in isolation can become so ornery that even their owner can't get near them, or so sad that they just lay down and die. Luckily for them, though, goats will readily accept almost any animal that's at least a little similar to them, like the horses. Goats can be trained to pull carts and carry packs as well. Since they're smaller than donkeys and horses, they're more maneuverable in thick brush or up steep inclines, and they cause less trail damage thanks to their smaller hooves. A trained pack goat can carry 30% of its weight in cargo. Little Tad Lincoln, mentioned earlier, isn't the only famous figure to be seen in a goat-drawn chariot. When he's not flying by dint of his mystical star-stuffed hammer Mjolnir, the Norse god of thunder, Thor, gets around in a chariot pulled by two goats. Tangrisni and Tangnos Tangrysni and tangnost, which means tooth-gnasher and tooth-bearer, are Thor's companions, pulling his chariot and interestingly, providing him with food along his trips. The mystical goats can be eaten, and as long as their bones are kept whole, a little wave of the magic hammer will bring them back alive and well the next day to continue the journey. One legend tells of Thor staying overnight with a farmer and his family. Since the humble farmer could hardly be expected to satisfy Thor's mighty appetite, Thor slaughtered his goats, instructing the family to save the bones on the goat skin next to the fire. However, the farmer's son split one of the goat bones to get the marrow. When Thor woke the next day and set out, one of his resurrected goats was lame, and his wrath was only eased when the family gave him that son and a daughter as servants.
1: I'm Jane Perlez, longtime foreign correspondent and former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times.
0: Tangrisni and Tangnos aren't the only goats to feature in North mythology. The goat Hydran eats leaves from the world tree Idrisil, which she converts into the mead that flows from her udders. This mead is what Odin and the fallen warriors of Valhalla drink. Making it to the mead halls of Valhalla means you did well as a Viking warrior. For those of us not shield maidens, we'll settle for a five-star review on the Apple Podcast app. The latest one is a username that's probably not meant to be read out loud as one word, but I'm going to go with Kotling, who says, I'm hooked on this show. I love a very structured informational podcast, so this is perfect for me. I've been listening to it at work, and it makes data entry fly by, as much as data entry can fly by. I appreciate each and every review that we have gotten. Have you wondered why it is that your podcast host begs for reviews each week? The Apple Podcast app is the most popular podcast app, and so one of the most popular ways for people to find new podcasts. The more reviews and positive ratings a podcast has, the higher they are in search rankings. So if someone was searching for Fact Podcast, and I had more reviews, I would be higher up in the rating and more likely to be found so if you have even a minute to spare, every review is greatly appreciated. On the topic of things you hear your other podcast hosts say, you may have noticed that you haven't heard any sponsor spots on your Brain on Facts, nor any pleas to go to my Patreon and contribute. Those days may be coming to an end, but I want to hear from my listener as to which method of monetization they find less annoying in their listening experience. The hours of time that go into each week's episode notwithstanding, there are costs involved in doing a podcast. In addition to equipment, and the website, there is a specific hosting platform just for the files of the podcast. I'm not trying to make a living on this, though that would be wonderful. But if it were a zero-sum game... If I wasn't losing money doing the podcast, that would obviously be best. So pop on to our Facebook page or the Twitter, again, that may be changing soon, and let me know which you find less offensive in your podcast listening experience, when the host reads or plays a 30-second ad, or when the host asks listeners to support them via Patreon. The last thing I want to do in trying to reduce my expenses is to reduce the quality of the program. I also appreciate everyone who voted in our online poll this past week. Coming from last week's episode, What's in a Nickname, City and State Edition, we mentioned Iowa being the Hawkeye State. And the question was posed, when you hear Hawkeye, do you picture the Avengers or MASH? And by a solid two-thirds, more people pictured MASH. The most popular breed of goat on YouTube is one whose special characteristics are antithetical to working life, the fainting goat. These goats freeze up, go stiff as a board, and fall over when frightened or even overstimulated, sometimes when they're at a full run. To say that the goats are fainting is a misnomer, as they never lose consciousness. The proper name for the breed is myotonic goats but they're also called Tennessee Fainters, Stiff Leg Goats, and Nervous Goats. They get their name from a genetic condition called Myotonia Congenita, which causes their muscles to briefly stiffen after they're startled. Myotonia Congenita is not unique to goats or livestock, and can even affect human beings, though usually not as a response to fear. Because Myotonia Congenita is a recessive gene, Goats that are crossbred with other breeds typically don't display fainting behaviors. While many are kept for their meat, some have escaped the chopping block by finding appeal as pets. Theories abound as to why people would have intentionally perpetuated this strange trait in their herds. One obvious reason would be for amusement. But that would require that the person breeding the goats isn't trying to subsist on the animal or on income from them. The theory that sounds the most logical to this reporter is that the fainting goats were a minority in a herd of otherwise normal animals. In the event that predators descended on the flock, the fainting goat would drop, and your more valuable dairy or meat goats would get away. The quantity of goats in the world means that they are featured widely in myths and legend. The ancient pharaoh Khafrene's was said to have been buried with over 2,000 goats, though that's the only thing Google seems to know about him. In Greek mythology, the constellation Capricorn is identified as Amalthea, who was interchangeably a goat or a goat-tending nymph. Amalthea acted as a foster mother to Zeus when his mother Rhea stowed him away in the mountains of Crete to save him from being eaten by his father Cronos. Legend says that as little Zeus played with Amalthea, he accidentally broke off one of her horns, which he transformed into the cornucopia, the Horn of Plenty, which we use as a symbol of abundance to this day, usually in the form of Thanksgiving arts and crafts. It is from goats that the Chinese city of Guangxu gets its name. Long ago, the city, then Ting, was hit by a severe famine. Otherwise helpless, the people prayed day and night Their piety eventually moved five celestial beings who descended from heaven riding five goats of different colors, and each of them brought an ear of grain. They gave the grain to the people and blessed them that they would never see another famine. The city was renamed Guangzhou, meaning City of Five Goats, and had good weather for its crops every year. In order to commemorate these five celestial beings, the people built Wuxian Temple, at the place where the beings were said to have arrived, and made goats the symbol of Guangxu. The statue of five goats built in Yuzhu Park in 1959 has attracted thousands of tourists over the years. The most persistent legend involving goats is that they discovered one of mankind's most important trappings, coffee. There is a popular Ethiopian legend that coffee was discovered by a goat herder named Kaldi, who found his goats frolicking and full of energy after eating the red fruit of a particular shrub. Kaldi tried the fruit for himself and felt a similar reaction. After witnessing their strange behavior, a monk took some of the fruit back to his fellow monks, who reportedly spent the night awake and alert. Of course, they were reacting to coffee's high dose of caffeine. While there's no way to prove or disprove the story, it's not so far-fetched as some of the animal coffee links we have today. There are a number of coffee varieties made from beans that have been first eaten and then expelled by animals. The best well-known of these is kopi luwak, for which the coffee fruits have been eaten by the adorable Asian palm civet and cost about $160 per pound. If you've got even more money to burn, you can buy $500 a pound coffee that has been pooped out by an elephant. Though you would think the elephant one would be cheaper, just from economy of scale. Goats factor twice in the story of the Dead Sea Scrolls. In 1947, a Bedouin teenager named Muhammad found a cache of clay jars in a cave while he was tending his goats. Inside these jars were vellum and papyrus scrolls upwards of 2,000 years old. Dubbed the Dead Sea Scrolls, they were written between 150 BCE and 70 CE and remain the subject of scholarly debate to this day. The Dead Sea Scrolls include fragments from every book of the Old Testament of the Bible except the book of Esther, written in multiple languages. The first step to analyzing the scrolls is to piece the fragile fragmented parchments back together. How do the goats help here? While about 15 complete or nearly complete scrolls have been translated, there are still thousands of thumbnail-sized fragments to put together. The edges of these scraps are too decayed to let them be put back together like a jigsaw puzzle, and the writing on them is limited to a few characters per fragment so not much help there. Science comes to the rescue with DNA testing. The texts were written on the skins of animals, such as goats, and amazingly retain enough DNA for scholars to apply DNA typing techniques. Scientists from Brigham Young University in Utah and Hebrew University in Jerusalem have extracted DNA without harming the scrolls, allowing scientists to identify not only the species of the animal the parchment came from, but the herd and even the individual animal that fragment is from. When researchers are able to tell that two fragments came from the same animal hide, they know that they're part of the same passage, getting them that much closer to assembling the words. Twelve years after goats led to the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls, some fishermen released three goats on the Isle of Pinta in the Galapagos archipelago so they could hunt them later for food as an apparent backup plan to their fishing. As I mentioned, the goat's reputation for lustiness is well founded, and within 20 years, three goats had turned into 40,000. Goats are not native to the Galapagos. Tens of thousands of goats on a 60-kilometer or 38-mile island meant cataclysmic destruction for the plant life there. The goats breed fast, have no predators on the island, and are indiscriminate eaters. Two decades more, and the population had swelled into six figures. Some goats had even swum to nearby islands and began breeding there. The situation got so dire that a massive, multi-agency project, called Project Isabella, had to be assembled. Their plan? Platoons of goat hunters scoured three islands, on foot and in helicopters. Logistically, this was no mean feat. According to Dr. Carl Campbell, the field manager who ran Project Isabella's operations, We had to bring helicopters, rifles, and munitions to one of the remotest parts of the world. This was at a time when the U.S. State Department was trying to restrict having that stuff anywhere near Columbia. After being shot, the carcasses of the goats were left to decompose. It can be hard to see so many goats lying dead out there, says Dr. Linda Coyote, science advisor for the Galapagos Conservancy. Leaving the carcasses may seem wasteful or cruel, but the reasoning is sound. The goats had consumed valuable nutrients from the island. Exporting their meat or cremating the carcasses would have removed those nutrients forever. It could be very destructive, like removing 10,000 trees from a rainforest, Campbell says. Better to let the bodies decompose back into the soil. That being said, a certain number of goats were eaten by the eradication team, but not many. For Project Isabella to be considered a success, it requires total eradication. It took the same effort to get rid of the last 5% as it did the first 95%, says Kayot. To get rid of the stragglers, the team employed something called a Judas goat. Judas goats were sterilized and injected with hormones to keep them permanently in estrus, or in heat, looking for a mate. The Judas goats were then set free on the island irresistible bait for the fugitive 5%. A major impediment to total goat removal are the people who live on the islands. Some residents hunt the goats for food, and it's tough persuading them that the goats need to go. The goats have also become an odd form of bargaining chip. When local fishermen were displeased with government fishing regulations, they retaliated by releasing new goats on the islands out of spite. PR can be tricky when the invasive species is cute. Some people like goats so much they incorporate them into their fitness regimen. A farm in Oregon offers goat yoga. The idea came about when farm owner Lainey Morse was hosting a child's birthday party and one of the moms suggested the farm would be a nice setting for yoga classes. Morse liked the idea, provided her beloved goats could participate. It didn't take long for word to spread, and the wait list for the novelty classes grew. The goats don't actually do yoga with you. If anything, they're a cute distraction. As such, people enjoy it as a form of animal therapy, like horseback riding, petting cats, or swimming with dolphins. Naturally, other farms and petting zoos have seen Morris's success and started goat yoga classes of their own. All I can say... To quote a friend of mine, Stop clapping, white people. Having a goat with its hard little cloven hooves jump up on your back while you're in downward dog will not feel good. For a more laid-back goat interaction, if you find yourself in Tokyo, check out the Sakura Gauka Cafe, where you can enjoy a light lunch and a cafe latte while petting goats named Chocolate and Sakura, which means cherry blossom. The goats live in a little wooden cabin with a pink Himalayan salt lick. They get taken for walks by the staff, and you can call and reserve your own walking session on Mondays and Wednesdays. And that's where we run out of ideas, at least for today. If you want the experience of goats without having to physically interact with them, or even leave the house, there's always Goat Simulator. Goat Simulator is a video game described by its creators as a small, broken, and stupid game. It was made in a couple of weeks so don't expect a game in the size and scope of GTA with goats. In fact, you're better off not expecting anything at all. You control a goat in a small open world walking around and butting things like people and gas canisters. It's the sort of game the internet loves. Easy, vacuous, and an endless source of memeable screenshots. Thanks for spending part of your day with me. Today's episode was brought to you by the word Pustule. Pustule.
1: Let Mysteries at Midnight be your destination for detective it and captivating mystery stories. You'll hear classic stories like Sherlock Holmes, Agatha Christie's Poirot, and short tales from H.G. Wells, Charles Dickens, Edgar Allan Poe, and others. I'm Christopher, and I read these classic stories in the soothing style of a bedtime story, so you can listen to them in bed when you drift off to sleep. Search for Mysteries at Midnight on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favourite podcast app, and follow and subscribe so you don't miss out on new episodes.